Our scripture today comes from Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in the summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit, and scarcity like an armed man. Thank you, David. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us Proverbs. It is so practical and so helpful. I pray that you would give us a soft-heartedness to receive your word and uh, to be changed by it and to grow so that we can better serve and honor you in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, David. I appreciate you reading that. I think this may be the first sermon that begins just with an outright insult. You sluggards. Consider the ant, sluggards. Kids, sluggards is a, an insult you can add to your repertoire of words that you really shouldn't call people. Um, I wonder if you know what sluggard means. You can picture a slug. It means lazy. Uh, some of your, one translation that some of you may use may say lazy bones instead of sluggard at that point. Uh, most of them probably do say sluggard. Proverbs is all about uh, how to grow out of folly or foolishness into wisdom, being able to live wisely. One of the ways that we are most frequently foolish is by being lazy. Now, you probably don't consider yourself a sluggard, slug-like. Picture a slug. Have you ever seen a slug? Have you ever seen a slug move? Well, you've seen evidence of the slug's movement with that little weird shiny trail, but you probably never actually saw the slug really moving. Not that you could tell. Slugs just don't move much. They move slow. They don't do much. You might not consider yourself a sluggard, but I've developed a four-question test from this passage to see if you are a sluggard. I think what we're going to find is that while we may not be sluggards with a capital S, uh, we all have slug-like tendencies. So question number one. Do you tend not to work unless someone or something is making you work? If there wasn't someone making you work or something making you work, would you not work? Do you only do what your boss tells you, what your parents tell you to do? You do the minimum. Question two, are you sometimes or even often unprepared? Are you sometimes or perhaps even often unprepared, scrambling late with assignments, trying to do your schoolwork hurriedly over breakfast before you run out to the bus? Question number three, do you like to sit around a lot? Like, do you enjoy a good couple of hours of just sitting around? Lots of TV time, reading, internet, surfing, sleeping, And question number four, do you often find yourself not having what you need? 
bills come due and you're a little tight. It's class time and you don't quite have the knowledge you need for that test in front of you. Okay, I think we all can sometimes say yes to any of these four questions. I think we all have the slug within. We have today three things for us in our sluggishness. We have an invitation, a challenge, and a warning. An invitation and a challenge and a warning. Let's start with the invitation. Sluggards, that's the Bible talking to us, that's not me. Sluggards, go and learn from the ant. Go and learn from the ant. Many of you probably wondered why there was a big picture of an ant in your bulletin this morning. Go and learn from the ant. That's exactly what it says in verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. In our slug-likeness, we need to look at the ant and consider ant-likeness. It would be wiser to be like an ant than to be like a slug. What's so special about ants anyway? I looked up some ant facts for you. Some of these you may know, but some of you, if you're like me, some of these you have no idea. We're considering ants. Did you know that the total weight of all the ants in the world is the same as, if not larger, than all of humans in the world. If you could get all the ants in the world and weigh them, it would be roughly equal to and perhaps even more than if you got all the humans in the world and weighed them. Do you have any idea there's that many ants? Some of you feel like there's ants on you right now if you're thinking about ants. Did you know, you probably knew this one, some ants can support up to 100 times their own weight. Up to 100 times their own weight. What would it be for you to support up to 100 times your own weight? Nobody wants to shout it out loud. This one I would like to get some background on to make sure it's true, but it's here. The largest ant colony ever found was over 3,750 miles wide. Think about that for a minute. Ants are the longest living of all insects, living for up to 30 years. Do you know that? One ant species owns the record for the fastest movement within the animal kingdom. The last one I'll give you, although there's, I've actually kind of grown fascinated with ants this week, and there's lots more of these facts that I had no idea. I'll read you just one more. Let me pick a good one. Here, this is a good one. Ants move an estimated 50 tons of soil per year in one square mile. Like if you took one square mile worth of ants and could measure how much soil they moved around, it would be an estimated 50 tons of soil in a year. That's a lot for a little ant. There's a lot of interesting things about ants. So what is it that we need to consider specifically here in relation to laziness in order to grow wise? Well, he tells us exactly what to consider in verses 7 and 8. The big idea for us to consider as we're tempted to be lazy sometimes as we think about the ant is that ants work without being told. That's the big idea. And we'll see some other things in these two verses, but the big idea is ants work without having to be told to work. So let's read the verses. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food and harvest without having any chief officer or ruler. Now picture ants that you've seen. Have you ever seen an ant just sort of hanging out? No, they're always scurrying around. They're always busy. They're always working. 
Why are they always working? Is it because they've got some taskmaster, a boss, or a parent, a mom, telling them, go get that bit of soil and bring it over here and build up the house? Or you're not going to have an ant mound. Go get the soil. The kid dropped a potato chip. Go get a chunk of it and bring it back. Or you're not going to have dinner. The ants are just, they just do it. They just work. Now, what do you do when you're given an opportunity when the boss is gone or your parents not home? Kids, what do you do when it's your grandparents watching you for the evening? Do you do your chores? Or not having your mom or dad there, does it just all go out the window and it's all watching TV, all playing video games? When you're at work, I hear you. I agree. I'm trying to tell them. They're a bunch of sluggards, Luke. When you're at work and the boss is out sick, does it get a lot more slack around the office? Or do you keep working just as hard, maybe harder? Fools are like slugs when given the opportunity. Wise people are like ants. Without anyone telling them what to do, they work, they take care of stuff, they prepare, they gather and harvest. They prepare and they sustain themselves. It says they prepare, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. They work ahead and then when harvest time comes, they have what they need. So that's our invitation. Go and think about the ant. Consider the ant. Be wise like the ant. And then the challenge. The challenge comes in verse 9, and it's basically this. Get moving. The challenge is, in our temptation toward laziness, get moving, get to work. Verse 9 says, How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? How long will you lie there? How long are you going to sit around? How long is it going to take for you to get up and get moving? You start working toward this assignment, this goal, or whatever it is, this task. Now, Remember, when this was written, if you can imagine this, they didn't have the internet. And they didn't have Netflix. And they didn't have smartphones. So put yourself in that situation. What would you even be doing? I mean, why not work all the time? What else would you do? And maybe that's why the examples here are just lying down and sleeping. Otherwise, just get some dirt and play with it. I don't know. Stick. We have more ways to sit still each generation. You know, I'm 33. I consider myself still a young man, especially in comparison to some of you. I'm, <laughs> I'm kidding, though it is accurate. Um, I won't be able to make these jokes forever. Um, I look at, you know, college-age people now and think, man, they grew up with all kinds of stuff to do that I didn't have. And those college students look at the, the high schoolers now and say, they've got stuff. They're way more plugged in than I ever was. And high school students are looking now at toddlers saying, toddlers already have iPhones. I never had an iPhone when I was a toddler. We have more opportunities for sluggishness, laziness now than ever before, and it's probably just going to keep getting harder. So kids, you will have a harder time at this probably than, than we adults have had because you just have so many more opportunities to be lazy, to sit around, to look at a screen, to do nothing of any real value. And it's fun. And that digital world seems way more engaging sometimes in this real world. So it's a very real temptation. 
The internet makes, makes slugging unlimited. It's just endless. If you want to sit down and just surf the internet, you could be there for the rest of your life and never come to the end of it. The phone makes slugging possible everywhere. Kids, when I used to like have to wait on my mom while she was shopping or something, I didn't have one of these. I had to like look around. That was it. <laughs> That's all you had. I didn't beg mom for her phone to play a game because it didn't that the whole idea didn't exist. Netflix. How many people have Netflix? I always use Netflix examples, assuming that everybody does. Okay, many do. If you're not real familiar with Netflix, Netflix, uh, you, get, you pull it up on your TV or your computer or your phone, and it has stuff for you to watch, movies and TV shows. Now, when I grew up, during the summertime, for example, my brother and I would have the TV on, and we'd watch The Price is Right reruns. That was, that was all that was available. And when that went off, it was like Montel Williams or something, and his kids, we, we, could, we could conjure up interest enough to watch some Prices Right, but we could not conjure up some interest to watch Montel Williams and those types of shows. And so we would have to turn off the screen and to go find something else to do. Nowadays, it's different. Nowadays, children especially have endless, endless opportunities. I remember when our kids were younger, they had a rotation of a couple of DVDs, and we watched those things into, into dust. But now we don't re-watch movies anymore because we've got an endless supply of them. You know, I remember we would watch a show on the time that it came on, on the evening that it came on, just one of them. See, Netflix is extremely dangerous because now if you're into a TV show, you have the entire, like, ten seasons of them available. And so there's, the term has been coined binging, Netflix binging. And so you get into your TV show, you watch one and it's a cliffhanger. You know, you used to have to wait a week. Now you just go straight into the next one, straight into the next one, straight into the next one until it's been three weeks. You've lost your job, your family, you've got a huge beard, you're unbathed. There's more temptation for laziness now. More avenues. Maybe maybe it's not more tempting, but there's more avenues for it now. And it's only going to get worse. And so we hear this challenge. How long will you? How long will you look at your Facebook feed when you should be working? How long will you binge on this Netflix TV show when you should be studying? How long will you play Xbox when your, your son needs fathering or your house needs repair? How long will you text or tweet or play Candy Crush when your elderly neighbor is sitting there alone and in desperate need of some, some form of compassion or visit? And then we come to the warning. Okay, this is all kind of funny to think about. It's kind of funny for me to call you sluggards. But there's a warning in verses 10 and 11 that we need to look at. The warning basically is, if you don't get moving, poverty will get you. If you don't get moving, poverty will get you. Now when I say poverty, that might not be a word, especially the the children use a whole lot. Basically, I just mean being poor. Uh, lacking something, not having something that you need, it will get you. Verses 10 and 11. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. It's kind of 
voicing what the, the lazy person inside of us may be saying, you know, just a little bit. It's a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. You know, just one more episode. Just hit the snooze button one more time. One more cartoon. Poverty like a robber, want like an armed man. See, the imagery here is when we're being lazy, it's like leaving the front door unlocked at night. And we're leaving ourselves vulnerable to want and need and lack poverty. Now, the emphasis here is on the shocking swiftness of this poverty. It it comes upon you. It finds you. You don't have to go looking for it. And it's fast and it's surprising. Now, it's not saying that everybody who has a need is automatically lazy. Like, any time you struggle to pay a bill, it means you're lazy. What it is saying is that laziness will always lead towards poverty. Okay, there's all kinds of factors that go into human need. Sometimes you're in an economic system that's broken and you're trying, you're working as hard as possible, but you can't make ends meet. Okay, so let's not be simplistic about it and say, oh, well, somebody, somebody's car broke down, they can't afford to fix it, they're just a lazy sluggard. That's not the case, but being a lazy sluggard will put you in a vulnerable position to become poor, to have a need that you can't fulfill, to get yourself in trouble. It used this um, planting, harvesting language back up in verse 8 when it said the ant prepares her food in summer and gathers her food in harvest. And I think that's a good imagery for us to think about this. You know, a farmer plants and, and cultivates the soil and plants and waters, and then it's a long time before the harvest when all that grows. And then they come through and harvest, and, and then they have food. Okay, we're not really that agricultural anymore, but that same notion still applies. If the farmer is lazy and does not plant, it'll be fine for a while. Still be eating the food from the last harvest, it won't be a big deal. Until the next harvest time comes. And all of a sudden, swiftly, shockingly, we have no food and it's too late. So if, you, you kids in school, if you don't study and do your homework, it'll be fine for a while. Until that test lands in front of you and you have no harvest of knowledge. And you fail. And you know, if you're lazy about that and your grades accumulate and they're failing grades, there's a sense in which that'll be fine for a while. Until all of a sudden you're getting out of school and you can't go to college and you can't get hired anywhere. You have no harvest of work ethic, you have no harvest of resume, all of a sudden you're in trouble. And it seems so swift, yet you had so much time. It's, it holds true for the simple daily tasks. If you're lazy about your laundry, it's fine for a while. Until it's Sunday morning and it's time to go to church and you got to get the kids dressed and everything's dirty. And you have no harvest of clothes to put on. I'm just pulling out, I'm looking out here and seeing people's rumpled clothes. (laughs) If we parents are lazy about building relationships with our kids, it'll be fine for a while while they're infants, toddlers. Until all of a sudden they're teenagers and they're making these horrible decisions and we can't even talk to them. 
Because we have no harvest of relationship there. If we're lazy about our work, it can be fine for a while. Don't, if we don't hold jobs, if we don't do well at our jobs, we can do okay for a while until something big, unexpected happens. We get into a car accident, and we can't pay for that, and then we can't drive, and then domino effect of poverty seizes us. It is foolish to be sluggish and lazy. And so God invites us to consider the ant and learn from the ant and be wise. And he challenges us to get moving, get to work. And there's a million different applications for that. And he warns us that if we don't, poverty will very likely seize hold of us. Now, up to this point, all of that would hold true for non-Christians. Up to this point, there's been nothing Christian about this sermon at all. This is just kind of common sense stuff. Um, a Jew, a Muslim, a Buddhist, they'd probably all be in hearty agreement with this up to this point. So what about Jesus Christ? You know, he taught that the whole Bible points to him. What does this have to do with us as Christians in particular? I mean, kind of, really, everybody knows if you're lazy, it's going to come back to get you. Well, there's many ways. I'm just going to kind of give you two. And this is how we'll close the sermon out. But ultimately, we Christians should be the least slug-like and the most ant-like. Really, we Christians should be the wisest, hardest-working people. For one thing, we don't have to feel lousy about our laziness. We can get caught in a, a laziness spiral where we're lazy one week and then we just feel lousy about our laziness and then it just makes us depressed and then we just keep being even lazier. And, and when we start to beat ourselves up and get down on ourselves and, oh, I'll never do better. I never make good grades. I never get promotion. We don't have to do that. Let me read to you Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So maybe you're sitting here listening to this sermon and you're thinking, I know, I know I watch too much TV and I don't work hard. I know I use every excuse I can to get out of work. I know I'm lazy. And you're just kicking yourself and beating yourself up and you're condemning yourself. You need to know in Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation. This isn't a condemning sermon. You don't have to walk out of here feeling lousy about yourself. In Jesus Christ, the sins we accumulate through our foolish laziness are wiped clean, fully clean. And God looks at you and he sees Jesus Christ's perfect record. His perfection. You're given that as a gift as a Christian. You, know, you might have a, a, a history of intense laziness that has set people against you. And you have a lot of uh, emotional scars because of it. You can say like Paul in Philippians Chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. You know, Paul sinned in many great ways. He even persecuted Christians. Let me see. Did I get the wrong? Here it is. But he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, meaning perfection in Jesus Christ. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind... Forgetting the mistakes of my past, which for Paul were, were violence toward Christians. For us, maybe in this case with this sermon, it's, it's laziness. It's shame that we may feel because of areas in our lives in which we've been lazy. Maybe we've been a lazy father, a lazy mother. Maybe we've been a lazy student, lazy employee. 
lazy citizen. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, if any, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we've attained. See, as Christians, we don't have to get bogged down in our, in our mistakes. We can forget what lies behind and move, move forward. Now, the second thing I want to remind you as Christians that makes it special for us to come to a passage like this in Proverbs is that you weren't just saved from something. You were saved to something. As a Christian, you weren't just saved from your sins so that when the end comes, you can be welcomed into heaven. But in the meantime, you just sort of go on about your business. You weren't just saved from your sins. You were saved to a vibrant, living relationship with God. You weren't just saved from sin. You were saved to a whole new life. And this newness encompasses everything, including our day-to-day work. Let me read to you from Ephesians 2. This is a, a familiar passage to many of you. Ephesians 2, starting at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are, let me not, let me not get ahead of myself. You, Christian, were saved by grace through faith, not of your works. So hearing this sermon, don't think, well, I gotta go, I gotta go work hard, otherwise God's not gonna love me. Otherwise I'm not gonna be saved. You were saved already, by grace, through faith, not of your works. But look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you weren't just saved from your sin. You were also saved into a new life in which God has prepared good works for you. Okay, so you, Christian, weren't saved by your works, but you were saved into a new work, good works. That God has prepared before you and he he sets them up ahead of you every day. And he sets them out in your path for you to do good works. Now you won't do them if you're being slug-like. But if you're being ant-like, you'll take advantage of these opportunities and you'll do them. What are these good works? Can you hear my voice rapidly getting weaker? Much could be said about what these good works are, but I want to highlight that they include your day-to-day work, your job, your parenting, your chores are included in these good works. They become good, worshipful works now. Consider Colossians three eighteen through 24. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. This kind of encompasses all the mundane, day-to-day, weekly tasks of living. The tasks of being a wife, of being a husband, of being a child, of being an employee, I think, could be folded into that bondservant idea. And then in verse 23, it says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, 
knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Wives, when you do the daily work of being a wife. Husbands, when you do the daily work of being a husband. Children, when you do the daily work of being a child. Parents, when you do the daily work of parenting. Employees, when you do the daily work of of your employment, your, your work. You are serving the Lord Christ. So we Christians of all people have the deepest reasons, the deepest motivations to work hard and work wisely and not be lazy. And then beyond that, we have the glorious eternal work that we've been given to love God and love people by making disciples of all nations. So really, there's no excuse for us Christians to ever be bored. Have you finished making disciples of all nations? No? Get to work. We do that with our kids. They say, I'm bored. Well, have you made your bed? I'm bored. Well, have you cleaned your room? I'm bored. Well, have you washed the car? They're not quite old enough for that one yet. I wonder if God looks at us and we're like, I'm bored. More Netflix. Well, have you made disciples of all nations yet? Well, no. We have this glorious work to be about. So, bottom line, we'll close with this. Christian, when you are tempted by the slug within, remember the ant and be wise. Work without having to be told to work. Prepare and harvest. Because you've been saved from your laziness for good works prepared for you. The good works of everyday living and the glorious work of loving God and loving people by making disciples of all nations. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this very practical word. Lord, please forgive us for our laziness and all the different expressions of it. And please help us to repent and change. Lord, help us to work wisely and heartily, remembering that we're ultimately not working for our parents or one another or our bosses. Ultimately, we're working to serve our Lord Jesus Christ. May we fold the clothes, do our homework, maintain our vehicles, do our jobs, share the gospel with our neighbors, plan ahead, do our work carefully, heartily, in such a way that it all pleases you, and it honors you, and it brings you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.